Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Yeni Letimaki, Ph.D., who is Senior Researcher at the Finnish Environment Institute. We will discuss the skin microbiota. Jenny is an ecologist and evolutionary biologist who studies ecosystems in human bodies and microbiota. She is especially interested in the role of green environments in supporting this ecosystem. She received her Ph.D. from the Faculty of Environmental and Biological Sciences at the University of Helsinki in Finland in 2017. She has tested the biodiversity hypothesis of health, which states that two global megatrends, i.e. decreasing biological diversity and increasing the prevalence of non-communicable diseases, are related. The potential link between these megatrends is the limited exposure to environmental beneficial microbes, which do not thrive in urbanized and westernized areas. She has worked on these research questions at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Helsinki and at the Clinical Research Unit of the Copenhagen Prospective Studies on Asthma in Childhood, or COPSAC, in Copenhagen, Denmark. Currently, her focus is on the role of biological diversity on human health. Yeni, welcome. Thank you a lot, Elena. Let's start with something really basic. I think we all know what the skin is. That's pretty straightforward. What do we mean when we say the skin microbiota? What exactly are we talking about? So in human body, not only on the skin, but also in a gut or airways or vagina, there's microbial communities And I think it's now a little bit more than a decade when we really started to study these communities because we developed a new methods which we can use to study these. So we can sequence their DNA and then we know who are there, which microbes are present on skin and in gut and so on. And actually nowadays this uh, human microbiome So so it's also called microbiome. So microbiota and microbiome, they are basically the same thing. So it's very popular topic nowadays in science. So these are the microbes, the tiny, tiny organisms that live upon our bodies. Is that right? Yes. And so microbes, they include uh, bacteria and viruses and also microscopic fungi, and also kind of other creatures which you cannot see. They are like invisible uh, friends we have, and, well, also not also fools, not only friends. <laughs> and sometimes I understand that the microbes can be neutral, they can be beneficial, and they can be harmful. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So... And also what is interesting is that the same microbe can be beneficial or harmful. So it can depend on which kind of community it is living in. So not only so it's not so straightforward as well we could hope for as scientists or as a medical practitioners that that uh, beneficial microbe is always beneficial. So it can be also harmful in some situations. 
are they the same across your body? Meaning, do you have, I know you said that in different parts of the body, you have different microbiomes, but what about in different parts of your skin in your body? So the skin on your face versus your elbow versus your big toe. Are there significant differences in the microbes in the different parts of the skin? Yes, there's actually big differences in different parts of body, different parts of skin. So if the skin is very moist or oily, that makes very different community than in more drier spots. What are the most significant factors in the formation of your skin microbiome? Well, that's not actually something we know so well. So one issue in in microbiome research is that the most research has focused on gut microbiota. And we have much more knowledge about that than we know about the skin microbiome. There's much more research about gut microbiome than about skin microbiome, which is maybe because we have uh, associated gut microbiome with so many uh, non-communicable diseases, and that's why we have been very interested about how that is formated. Uh, But much less is known about skin microbiome, but there's a clear difference between gut and skin in the sense that uh, that skin is open for the environment uh, and gut is not. So whatever is going through your stomach is uh, facing a very strong selective forces and that's why the gut microbiome is much more selected. But the skin is all the time open for the air and whatever you are contact with. So, so the most important thing Uh, in skin microbiome is that what it is contacted with. So, of course, other people are very important. So, other people are sharing their skin microbiome, especially if they are closely uh, connected, like partners or family members. And um, also, your living environment is influencing on the composition of skin microbiome. And that is what I am especially interested about. So, for example, we see quite big differences in the skin microbiome between rural and urban uh, people. Let's, let's delve a little bit more into the microbiome itself. I think of the body and I wonder to myself, so are the microbes under the skin? Are they on the skin? Do they extend beyond the skin? How does that work exactly? Is it both? Uh, I would say that all of that, in a sense, of course there's the microbes on the skin, but also in the um, whatever the small glands in the skin, they can be there. but we don't know actually if they are present under skin. So that's actually a question which has been studied and there's some research which, which is showing that there's also microbes under the skin. But then there's also research which hasn't really confirmed this discovery. So 
I would say they they are mostly on the skin. So if you touch someone, for example, it's a Western convention to shake hands. When you touch someone, shaking hands, when you embrace someone to greet them, as is the case in many cultures, are you walking away with part of their microbiome on you? Yes, absolutely. So sort of the connection is like if you are just shaking hands and that's it, that that doesn't really make huge difference. But if you are living with somebody, you start to kind of look like each other in a microbial sense. And even your dog starts to be like you or other way. You start to be like your dog in your skin microbiome. So it depends how much you spend time together. You were talking about the gut microbiome and how that's garnered a lot of attention. Is there a relationship between the internal microbiome, for example, in the case of the gut, since it has been the subject of so much study, and the skin microbiome? Are they connected? If you have a microbiome characteristic in your gut, is that reflected in your skin? Um, I have to say I don't know exactly whether it is like that because I don't know the latest research about this topic. But at least earlier, there wasn't so much evidence that the skin and gut microbiota are related so much. Even though you can imagine that that the skin microbes are going to your gut when you are eating and in everyday life quite easily. But maybe they are not staying in the community because it's very different community. Like guts, there's no air, for example, so it's selecting different uh, bacteria and other microbes than the skin environment. So I think it is so different environment for the microbes that probably at least not much, I would say. Well, one of the thoughts that comes to mind, for example, is that when you eat a lot of carrots, your skin changes color, right? So I thought, well, here is a place where what you're eating is affecting your skin. Are there other points at which there is a connection? But it sounds like not so much or not that we know yet. Well, uh, that's interesting example. Um, of course, what we eat influences your skin because that's where we get all the nutrients and so on. But uh, if we think the microbes, the most important thing is the fibers. So fibers we are eating are feeding our gut microbes. And nowadays it seems that we need to get a variety of different fibers, so from the uh, vegetables and fruits and also from the whole grain, and a mixture of these seems to be best for the gut microbes. And that, that is how they can influence on the skin condition. But uh, I have to say I don't know if the gut microbes influence how our skin looks. Maybe, because I think skin is kind of the mirror of the health so if your skin seems very nice, you cannot have like very horrible uh, gut microbiome condition. Makes sense.
how much does your location affect the microbiome? In other words, do you have the same microbiome if you live in, say, Finland, than if you live in the tropics, if you live at sea level, than if you live at high altitude? Oh, yes. There's a lot of uh, research nowadays that um, which have compared, like, usually population of U- United States or European people to um, people who are living in developed countries. Maybe they are living in some tribes or having very traditional uh, lifestyles, which are nowadays not seen anymore in European or um European countries or in United States at all. So populations uh, or the gut microbiota, gut microbiota of these populations is very different. So also I think most of the research again has focused on the gut microbiome, but also the skin microbiome has been studied. So we know that people who are having more traditional lifestyles, they have more diverse. So Diversity means that there's more different species, but it also says something about balance of the community. So it's more species in more balanced community in these populations who are living uh, with traditional lifestyles in uh, non-developed countries. When you say traditional lifestyles, do you mean nomads versus farmers, or do you mean urban versus rural? Well, actually, um, not either one. So I was um, meaning like the tribes in rainforest and uh, maybe some African tribes who are kind of farmer farmers, but not in the sense that here in Europe, for example. But we also see differences in the skin microbiota composition between rural and urban communities, for example, in Finland. And what is interesting that these differences, they come very early. So even in newborn babies, we can see differences in the skin microbiota between rural and urban uh, uh, people. In newborn babies? Yes, not like a day old, but uh, like two months old. Is that, okay, help me here because you'll know more, but my understanding is that as a child is born, it acquires some of the microbes in its system through the birth canal. Yes. So it's acquiring, the baby as it's born, it's acquiring its microbiome or its baby microbiome from its mother. Yes, so that is the first step what is happening. So if the child is uh, kind of vaginally born, then it will get the microbes from the vagina. That's like the first contact with the microbes. But of course, right away, the microbes which are present in the room and also in the skin of mother and father, and it can also get some gut bacteria um, on the so the process starts right away and it gets all sort of microbes right away so the first days I don't know actually how long it takes but first days at least they are very uh, 
traumatic in the sense that how the microbiome is developing and changing towards more like adult form. And so there's more diversity in the microbiome of people who are exposed, have a greater exposure to nature. Is that right? Well, you could say that if you think about the differences between the tribes in rainforest and uh, compared to people in the United States. So, yes, then you could say that people who are living in more natural way are having more diversity. But, for example, in Finland, if we compare rural and urban populations, the difference is not in the diversity. So they don't necessarily have more species of microbes, but what they have is still different kind of community. But it seems that if we look at the Western people, the diversity is not different so often between these rural and urban populations. So it's other um, metrics in the community which is different. And what is the importance for our listeners who are wondering why we would care about the diversity of microbes? Why does it matter if we have one type of microbe or a thousand? It's related to allergies, is that right? Yes, also allergies, but I would say like overall health of humans. So humans are not really only humans. So we are like ecosystems. We are walking planets in a sense that we harbor these ecosystems of microbes. So they matter for our health and also health of other living animals and plants and so on. So all living things have evolved with microbes. So we kind of have learned to live with them and also we are kind of using them to survive. So these microbes, this ecosystem is uh, communicating with our own cells, especially with our immune cells. And this is influencing on our health in positive ways often. And also they are competing with the bad microbes, bad bacteria, which try to invade to our bodies. So they can compete this away if the community is kind of well functioning. And if we think about gut microbes, then they are also helping us to get the nutrients out of out of from food, uh, kind of help us to get um, energy and so on. So they are very meaningful. So the how this community or ecosystem is in our body influence a lot how we are feeling. The, the microbes that we have in our system affect how we feel? Yes, uh, so also there's a so-called uh, brain-gut axis, so which I have to say I don't know so much about, but it's also kind of very hot topic in science. So it seems that um, depression, for example, is very closely related to gut microbes. So it's actually quite interesting how often these mood uh, disorders, um, depression, anxiety, and then also 
autism is related to uh, gut microbes and their communities. Are they also related to skin microbes? I don't, I don't know exactly, but I don't think so that these diseases are related so much to skin microbiota, or we don't know yet. But then the allergies seems to be related to skin microbiota. So, and that's kind of another big story here. <laughs> yes, I keep hearing, for example, about eczema. There, there's, I don't know if there are just many more people with eczema or if the people who have eczema have become more vocal. Um, is there anything you know about that? Yes, I know. Uh, I think that is, that is one of the first um, diseases which has been studied uh, in the sense of how the skin microbiome is in these people. So it seems that if you have like active eczema, uh, like inflated skin, the skin microbiome community on that area is very different. So it, it's something very untypical and usually dominated by a few bacteria, which is very uncommon. So usually the skin microbe, uh, skin microbiome is very uh, diverse. There's a lot of species, but people with eczema, there's only few. Many of the discussions around the gut biome have centered on the idea that widespread use of antibiotics has destroyed the natural microbiome in the gut uh, with bad consequences for our health. Is there something like that for the skin microbiome? In other words, have the antibiotic prescriptions that apparently are ubiquitous in society also affected the health of our skin microbiota. Yeah, so um, I think usually antibiotics are taken as a pill. So then, of course, it has much stronger influence for the gut microbiome composition. But uh, at least I have heard that if you take these sort of local uh, antibiotics, so they can be like creams or something, they seem to have still surprisingly systematic uh, influence in the body. So not just local, even though you could think so. So that's why I could argue that the antibiotics we take can also influence the skin microbiota. But um, I don't know exactly. So in a similar vein, I have heard of this, I don't know if it's a trend per se, but a number of individuals, especially those who are researchers and healthcare practitioners who are informed or better informed than the rest of us about our skin health that they've been not showering, that they've been staying away from showers and shampooing. Does Is there a relationship when we shower, when we go in a hot tub or get wet in the rain 
or dive, are we harming our skin? Yeah, well, uh, um, I haven't been using these sour gels, these sort of things, uh, I don't know, for a decade or something. So I only take a shower. Uh, I use shampoo. I have long hair. <laughs> uh, I don't use deodorants. Um, I wouldn't say these are my recommendations, but I just don't think we really need so much of all sort of cleaning ingredients for our bodies. Um, I don't think there's really uh, research how this influence uh, on our health. So certainly these ingredients um, or these uh, sour gels and uh, cleaning, I don't know how to call this, but certainly they can influence on the skin microbiota, especially if they are very strong. And so I think my kind of overall idea is that they are not so useful really but I cannot really rule out whether, whether they have some influence on our health. And then about whether you kind of go to swim to the natural waters or dive or things like that. Um, there's, of course, a lot of microbes in natural waters, so you get exposed to those. So that's probably okay. Um, so at least it's not anything you need to be scared about. So I wouldn't be expecting to find so many bad bacteria from the natural waters, except if there's a lot of cyanobacteria and so on. What swimming pools, for example, are not a natural body of water. Are, are, are the chemicals in the swimming pools and is the hot water and chemicals in a hot tub are they harming your skin? Are they stripping it of the microbiota that you need? Yeah, I think uh, they are at least, if not harming, at least they are changing our skin microbiota. Because anyway, these chemicals are included to the swimming pools because we want them to be clean and out of uh, bacteria, out of microbes. And it also makes sense because if there's a lot of people it's good to be kind of safe from bad microbes. But then again, I think it can be too much, especially if you are going regularly to swimming hall to swim. That might cause something for your skin microbiota. What, do, what about people who make their living, for example, well, lifeguards come to mind, but divers these are people who are in the ocean for hours every day. Yeah, well, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I don't know what happens to their skin microbiota. That would be a nice uh, research topic, I think. So, uh, But I suggest that uh, there will be changes in their skin microbiome, maybe very interesting ones. And are they getting more eczema than other people? Are they getting more skin conditions or health conditions as a result of the amount of time they spend in the water? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything like to be scared in just water. So 
just like a poor natural waters, I don't see any problems in that. Uh, so the problem in souring can be the kind of cleaning products to be used when we go to sour. Yeah, because there's people who apparently haven't showered in decades and aren't using any, yeah, they're, they're not showering. Yeah. Is, is that, is that what we should all be doing, I guess, is the question that comes to mind. You know, when I've commented that with, just at random with people that I know, they look at me like I'm crazy. No, how could you even think something like that? And yet, my understanding is that some of the people who are not showering, who haven't showered for decades, are highly intelligent, highly educated researchers and physicians. So there must be something to it, or is there? Well, I have to say, even though I work with skin microbiologists and I have been working with them for a long time, I don't know anyone who is not taking shower. Um, so I think that sounds pretty extreme. So, of course... When we talk about these, these sort of things, we need to keep in mind why people are trying to be clean and trying to take shower and um, so on. So it's, it's not just about looking good or kind of being attractive. It's also about avoiding uh, infectious diseases, which is a very important point when we are living in uh, cities and around people a lot. So we need to avoid also these uh, harmful microbes. But of course you can argue that whether taking showers is the main thing to avoid them. So more important of course is to wash your hands regularly with soap because that's the main, that is still the main way of avoiding infectious diseases. So that can be enough. And, of course, you can just wash uh, your kind of uh, unclean parts of your body and not to go there, like, totally. Say that again. So washing your hands and cleaning your private parts. Yeah, that can be also enough. But, of course, there's not yet uh, research evidence, or if there is, I don't know about that. So... So, yes, I cannot say more than that. <laughs> it's, at this point, there's no evidence that says that showering is necessarily harmful. And for someone who may feel that way, it's still safe to wash your private parts, the areas that are most likely to have smells, your underarms, I assume, your feet, your hands, and your genitals. Yes, I would say so, yes. Now, you said something about not using deodorant. Is it deodorant or is it antiperspirant? What, how can you keep from getting smelly? Because we still live in a society, and most people will run away from us if we start mm -hmm. smelling like we haven't showered in a while. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't use either one of those, but I think this is very personal thing, because some people, they are just, I don't know, they are just smellier than others, and I think I have to be lucky one 
but I don't get so smelly. So, uh, and maybe it's because I don't use these products. So maybe the kind of microbial community is different and, and it's not producing as, as smelly odors. But, uh, of course, this is a very personal thing. So I cannot say that it happens to all, but at least nobody has said to me that I'm smelly. So I hope I'm not. That's a good start, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you said something a second ago that makes me think of what we were talking about earlier. You said some people are smellier than others, and that is so true. And I've heard people say that it's related to what you eat, meaning, for example, if you have a diet that's very rich in garlic or curry or animal products, that you may have a stronger smell. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, uh, might be true, but I don't really know. What I know about the smells and skin microbes is that they are related at least um, at some parts. So the bacteria communities are also producing the smell. So the smells are not just coming from you and your own cells, but also from the skin microbes. So there's many things which can influence how you smell. Now, it's also different if you are living in a cool climate than if you're living in a tropical area or a subtropical area in high temperatures because you sweat more in a hot climate, right? Yes. Yeah, that's, that can be kind of selective uh, pressure for the skin microbes. So that can change the communities which are living on your body. So if you are in an area where, or you, for example, are an athlete, so you sweat regularly, which is apparently also good because you're releasing toxins, but you can also get smelly. So what about things that are, oh, for lack of a better term, more natural? I'm thinking of, say, rose water as a form of deodorant or alcohol to spray under your arms or that rock, uh, I don't know what's in it, that people use? Uh, probably uh, for the skin microbes, it matters a lot what ingredients are used for the deodorants. Mm, I'm not sure if there's research really that how they influence on skin microbes. So, so I don't really know. Is it harmful for you to use, say, a mild deodorant or alcohol or rose water? Are you harming yourself in exchange for gaining acceptance in society? Mm, that's potential, but not necessary. So anyway, it's only a small area in your body which you are shaping so I'm not sure if it's really having like systemic health effects. Um, but of course, if we don't talk about skin microbes, but other issues, at least I have heard that there might be some issues related to the very strong uh, deodorants. To the very strong deodorants that are causing health issues? Yeah, um, 
So I have to say this is now outside of my uh, scientific knowledge. So it's just something I have heard that there has been some uh, proof that they might be linked to the breast cancer or something uh, if there's very strong ingredients. Okay, we'll go back to your area of comfort. <laughs> One of the things that you have looked at, if I understood correctly, is the effect of your environment as a child on your immune system. In other words, the microbes that you acquire when you are a child help boost your immune system as an adult. Is that right? Yes. So that is research which I did when I was uh, visiting in Denmark. So I was working in Copenhagen. And um, so they have very excellent, I think it's one of the best in the world, uh, data set about children. So they have followed 700 children from their birth to now they are 10 years old very carefully. So they have uh, collected their microbiome several times from different parts of the body. And they also have measured their immune function and they know which sort of diseases they have developed later and so on. And when we look in this data, from the perspective of who has born in rural area and who has born in urban areas, we found that the immune function was very different between these urban and rural children. And we also looked at their microbes. These were not skin microbes, so these were from their airways and gut. So both the, yeah, both the gut and uh, airway microbiome make changes to the, how the immune function was like. And it seemed that if the um, airway microbiome was very like urban-like microbes, then it seemed to produce some harmful changes to the immune function. And they were very small children, so this happened very early in their life. One of the findings that they've made in relation to the gut biome, as I understand it, is that once you lose some of the flora, as it were, in your gut, it's very hard to recover them. Is that the case with the skin microbiome? If you lose it, I don't know if you dip yourself in bleach or something dramatic happens to your skin, are you able to recover your normal skin that you had before, your healthy skin microbiota? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, um the research about the gut microbiome is mostly focused on antibiotic use. So they have found that if you take antibiotics, your gut microbiome is not getting back to what it used to be in years at least. And if we think about skin microbiome, I think there's not similar research done. But of course, we can speculate that the story can be a little bit different. And that's because the skin is so open community. But I think both in the skin and gut, the main issue 
which kind of defines whether it can uh, can come back to the what it was is whether in your environment or what you are eating and what you are getting exposed to what you uh, whether you are getting exposed to the microbes uh, that you are missing because they are not just uh, hiding everywhere so you need to be in touch with the microbes you are losing somehow and that is also kind of one of the main issues which is happening in western urban societies that we just don't have all the microbial richness around us we don't sometimes we don't get ever exposed to all of the microbes what our ancestors did and that is a loss for us right yeah so it's basically lost i'm not sure if forever but if you are just uh whole your life living in a city not ever contacting with nature or animals or uh maybe diversity of uh different groups of people then it's very limited what you are exposed to what about all of these products that are in the market not just deodorants which are on the benign end of the spectrum in terms of the chemicals right but skin lotions and anti-aging potions and lotions to moisturize your skin and sprays to make you smell good soaps to clean your skin and then soaps to moisturize it at the same time what if any thoughts do you have about all that well i guess my thought is that there's a lot of stuff which is sold for us um nowadays there's also kind of new in- industry which is focusing on these um skin microbiome beneficial products so some companies are now trying to uh, develop products which are beneficial for our skin microbiome uh, i'm not sure how much science there is behind but at least it's very good uh, marketing idea to kind of new angle to the skin health to support the microbial communities so that's also interesting to follow um to at least i don't know research that how they are actually influencing on the skin microbiome whether it's beneficial or not or whether there's no change at all but that's i think new trend for people who want to help their skin say for example they have dry skin this seems to be a common complaint people who have live in a cold climate and their skin gets dry or maybe they wash their hands a lot and their skin gets dry uh taken medications that cause drying of the skin what do you recommend is a for example a natural oil like coconut oil or avocado oil or argan oil uh or aloe vera is there something that 
or a cream like shea butter that is natural, but it could still clog your pores, right? Or in some cases cause an allergic reaction. Is there something that you would say is, we can't say it would work for everyone, but it is generally benign? Well, um, that's a very tricky question for me. I felt that um, I'm not really a professional of uh, skin care, but uh, of course, at least personally, I try to use natural products, and I kind of feel that you have to try kind of what works for you because it's so personalized what is best for you and what if best for you is not to use anything just to wait for a while and see what happens that it's a trial and error because at least there's not so much scientific evidence that what is best for the skin health one of the studies that you did looked at the skin microbiota and allergic symptoms in relation to exposure to environmental microbes. So living in an urban environment versus living in a rural environment and with pets or without pets. What did you find out? Uh, actually, that study, um, what I think you're talking about, was made in dogs. So I have not only studied human microbiome, but also dog skin microbiome. And that's because dogs are kind of good uh, model animals, kind of easier to study than humans because they have a shorter life and also more simple life than humans. So it's easier to come some conclusion that what is influencing to what. So we study dogs and we look their living environment and also their lifestyle. So both of these seem to influence on the skin microbial communities and also how likely they were to develop allergic diseases. So the most healthiest dogs were living in rural areas and they were having what we called it as a rural lifestyle what meant that they were living in a big families. So in the family they were living, there was a lot of children. And then there was also other animals. And they were living in a house instead of high-rise high building apartments. Um, so these were the most healthiest dogs. And the least healthiest ones were living in urban areas with uh, one person in an apartment. So they were like a extreme groups and the other were in between. So this was kind of proof that rural uh, environment and lifestyle is healthy for dogs at least. And probably the same is true for humans too, even though there's not yet uh, such a research, but there's a lot of um, indication to that direction anyway. The possibility exists that in the same way that dogs were healthier if they had exposure to a rural environment than to just an urban environment, 
that might be true for us humans as well? Yeah, most likely yes. So there's some some scientific evidence, but not as, as straightforward as as this study with dogs, I would say, because humans are very complex to do research. So what you need is very long-term studies, like the one I was uh, talking about, the study in Copenhagen, where they have followed the children for so long and so carefully. But it's very hard in humans. Do we have any information on skin diseases and the microbiota. So going back to the eczema and I don't know what all the other skin diseases are, are there any links that indicate what might be leading to those skin diseases or the, the uh, increase in the skin diseases in some parts of the world versus others, uh, the use of products versus not, or what yeah. factors? Mm-hmm. Yes, so that's a big question. <laughs> so my research has focused on uh, allergic diseases, so that's maybe the point where I can answer. So yes, there's research uh, about the skin microbiome and skin diseases. Uh, skin uh, diseases which relate to allergy are, are exactly the eczema you mentioned. Uh, also atopic dermatitis, so they are actually kind of same disease. So in these diseases, the skin microbiome is um, different than in healthy people. But what we don't know yet is whether the skin microbiome changes first and the disease follows, or whether the changes in the skin microbiota are coming because of the disease. So we don't know if the skin microbiome is kind of causal, causing the disease. So that's one very important question. And then what is causing these diseases, that's probably something to do with the westernized societies, like all the other non-communicable diseases. So that means that our diet, our living environment, our lifestyle has changed so much that uh, we start to develop these sort of kind of um, avoidable diseases because of how we are living our lives. What about things like insect repellents, both the kinds where they're, well, I guess those are pesticides, where they're spraying large areas to kill the mosquitoes, and also where people are spraying themselves with DEET and other products as insect repellents. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I have some thoughts about that. It's, well, they are very strong. Um, uh, uh, sorry, they are very strong uh, ingredients in these products. So, of course, it's kind of, it makes me wonder what happens if we use these a lot, and not just for our skin and skin microbes, but also um, if they can go through the skin to our system as a whole and also to environment and how they can change environmental um, microbiota 
and also other living creatures in our environment. So, yeah, of course, I think they are kind of scary in a sense. <laughs> Between a DEET-like product and a natural product, is there a difference in terms of the harm that they might be causing our skin microbiota, do you know? Uh, sorry, can you repeat? Yes, so there are natural insect repellents that rely on the kinds of things that in the environment naturally repel insects, say like lemongrass is a natural insect repellent. So there are products that are basically a carrier oil or alcohol and essential oils that people spray on as repellents. And then there are products that are much stronger that are said to be effective against mosquitoes because, of course, the concern is that mosquitoes now carry diseases like malaria and chikungunya and, and, and. Is there a difference from a skin microbiota perspective between these natural insect repellents and the chemical ones like DEET? Yes, uh, I I don't really have a knowledge about the differences between these sort of different products. Of course, it sounds like lemongrass-based product would be much more uh, kind of light and not influence so much on the skin microbiome. But uh, what we need to keep in mind is that there's some reason we are using these insect repellent. So, uh, of course, we want to avoid these um, mosquitoes. Uh, so, of course, if you need to avoid them, you need to use the product that actually works and will uh, help you to avoid these insects. So, I would say that if you don't need to use them so much, then just take what works. But if you are using those daily, then maybe it's better to try whether lighter version also works. What about sunblock? This has also become, I don't know if ubiquitous, but certainly in areas where the sun exposure can lead to cancer, say where the ozone hole is broken in uh, the southern hemisphere and in tropical and subtropical areas, sunblock has become a very common product. Uh, do you have any insights in terms of the skin microbiota and whether these sunblocks are affecting the skin microbiota? Uh, maybe um, all sort of creams have some sort of effects, but of course sunscreens uh, are maybe stronger. They have a uh, very special uh, structure, but I have to say I have no idea how they influence on the skin microbiome. Probably they do somehow. What suggestions would you share with our listeners who want to learn more about their skin microbiota and how to appreciate it better? Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, what to say about that, like, uh, like my research interest is about how uh, living environment is supporting our skin microbiome uh, or not supporting. 
like it seems happening in urban uh, areas without uh, any green spaces. So as I predict that most of the people who are listening us are living in urban areas, uh, I would say that based on my research, the way you can support the health of your skin microbiome is to visit regularly in the green areas which are close to your home. Or maybe you can have a trip to some uh, forest which is farther away, but maybe spend a day there, especially if you have children. So this seems to be very important for the child development and development of the skin microbiome and microbiome uh, in total. So just have some more time in um, natural green areas. That's kind of my tip for the listeners. Where do beaches fall in that? Because it's not necessarily a green area, even though there can be plants on the beach. Would that be a natural environment, or does it have to be, say, a forest or a garden, a park? So I think uh, there's kind of gradient of microbial exposures, which is kind of uh, worst inside, indoors, and best in a natural forest. So I think beaches are somewhere between these extremes. So anyway, it's always better to go outdoors. So outdoors, there's always more microbial exposures than indoors, uh, also the healthy ones. Of course, you need to avoid the places with a lot of air pollution. But anyway, if you can go somewhere um, to green environment, I think it's better. But I think also beach is nice option, but I don't think that the microbial exposure there is as diverse as in forest. But if you are also swimming in the ocean, that also helps. Now, some people may be tempted to take a shortcut. I've heard about this product that is um, sort of, uh, I guess, a forest or a sandbox in a bottle that you spray dirt on your skin? Have you heard about that? Uh, Well, I don't know if I have heard about the same product as you do, but I know about that there's actually like serious development of that sort of product, yes. So there might be an effect. If the product is well made, there might be a health effect, but there might also be a risk. Uh, if the product is not well made, because if you put living microbes to the uh, bottle, you don't know which microbes start to thrive in the bottle and what you actually get out of the bottle. So there might not be any health benefits. Spraying live microbes on your skin, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Of course, it can be well made, but because I don't know any such products, I think research is not yet there that we have like a well-working product. So that's why I would recommend to choose like the natural option and go to the visit the green space. <laughs> Do the effort and go to a forest if you have one nearby or even a park it sounds like is better than being in your apartment in downtown city absolutely 
Jenny, thank you for joining us from Helsinki, Finland. Thank you a lot, Elena. It was my pleasure. And to our audience, you have been listening to Jenny Letimaki, PhD, who is senior researcher at the Finnish Environment Institute, who discussed skin microbiota. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicnpr.com. That's editor at hispanicnpr.com.